Hey everybody, it's Audrey Ellis and you're listening to Ask Audrey. Okay y'all, so today is my first episode about mental health. I don't know if you can hear me like rubbing on my leg right now, but I'm so nervous. Why? Because I have panic disorder and it just happens. Like any little thing, I just get like fearful. I still do it because, you know, I think I've said it in an episode before, but I've learned from my different spiritual leaders that I follow that sometimes you just have to, just have to do stuff in fear. You can't let fear stop you. So I'm going to do it. And I hear a couple of like deep breaths. And this time it's just because of panic and not because I'm feeling like tight in the chest or nothing like that. So first of all, I think the best way to start is to pick a topic. And the first topic I want to talk about is the fact that I have anxiety. So let's just go into anxiety. Panic disorder is just one of the five forms of anxiety disorders that exist. And that's according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. There are, there's general anxiety disorder or generalized anxiety disorder. There's, of course, panic disorder, like I said. There's social phobia or social anxiety disorder. There's PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. And then there's obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, I want to do different episodes on each one because I feel like I would be here forever and, you know, I feel like it would kind of get lost if we blend them all together. Each one deserves its own separate attention, its own separate episode to fully explain it and fully go into it. Now, I feel like I've experienced all five of them at different points in my life, but I've mainly had panic disorder and I've had that since I was about eight or nine years old and I'm not the only one, according to the... um, Anxiety and Depression Association Association of America. See, I'm nervous, y'all. Deal with it. Bear with me. Come on now. Anyway, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, about 6 million adults in America are diagnosed with panic disorder. So I'm not alone. But 6 million is like 2.7% of the population. So it's not a lot, but it's still good to know that I'm not alone. Like, Because, you know, I don't know if you even meet 6 million people in your lifetime. So that's still a lot of people. But... On top of there being 6 million people who are diagnosed with panic disorder, there's women. It says that women are more likely to be diagnosed. So I'm like, dang, I was born just with the possibility already being a part of my DNA, a part of my makeup. I mean, not really, because 6 million people, how many women is that? If women are more, oh, that's a math problem right there. If women are twice as likely, does that mean that there are 4 million women who are diagnosed with panic disorder and 2 million men? I don't know. I'm not good at math, so I don't know if that makes any sense. But let's move right ahead. Anyway, so panic disorder, if we want to give a definition to it, according to, again, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, panic disorder is described as an anxiety disorder which is characterized by unexpected and repeated episodes of intense fear accompanied by physical symptoms that may include chest pains, heart palpitations, shortness of breath, dizziness, and abdominal distress. And one thing they forgot to mention that I know personally is like excessive sweating, like profuse sweating, because heart palpitations and, you know, shortness of breath. I was diagnosed with and it was released to VHS. Yes, I'm a 90s girl. Don't judge me. Just in 1998, I want to say. And if it was anything later than that, hey, don't, don't quote me. I'm just trying to give you an understanding. 
So I'm watching this movie called Eat and it dealt with a uh, subject of sexual abuse. It's something I know personally, sexual abuse. You know, I've experienced that. And so I experienced it prior to this movie. I've been for a year, but I never told anybody because, of course, cliche as it goes, don't tell anybody or I'll do this. That's what I was told. So I couldn't really talk about it or speak up. But subconsciously, I was aware of it. And subconsciously, I was going through, you know, a story because the part that caught her first pain her lied to her and said that her father, the youngest daughter, put a curse on her father to have her father murdered for touching the sister inappropriately. But then after thinking about it, the little girl decided she didn't want her daddy to die. So she tried to have the voodoo spell reverse, but unfortunately it was too late. So instead she tried to go stop it herself and she went to a, uh, she went to where her father was and tried to just grab him and bring him home safely, figuring that if she was there, then of course, how could death come to him? Cause she's there to protect him and make sure he just comes home. But right in front of her very eyes, her father was shot and killed. Sorry to ruin the movie, but you know, if you haven't watched it yet, it's been 20 years. Hey, what can I tell you? And if you're too young and you were born in 98, then I'm sorry. Hope you can forgive me and still enjoy the movie. It's really good. Anyway, so watching that part of the movie, because subconsciously I was aware that I was experiencing the same thing and that, you know, the person who was doing what they were doing to me was pretty much still like getting away with it because I hadn't told anybody. I guess my eight or nine year old brain thought, oh my goodness, if I tell them this person, somebody might kill them the way they killed this man. So all of a sudden this intense fear rushed through my body. I ran to the bathroom, my mother pushed pause and like, hey, hey are you okay, Audrey, what's, what's going on? And I'm in the bathroom just like fight or flight had kicked in fully. Like I'm just releasing every fluid in my body because I just couldn't handle the fear, but I couldn't articulate it. My mind at that age couldn't articulate why I was afraid, but like I keep saying, subconsciously, I knew. Something, you know, about that just hit too deep in my core. So my mother came and checked on me. Like after about 10 minutes when I didn't come back, she's like, oh, what is going on? So I'm just crying. Like, I think I'm having a heart attack. And that's too young to think you're having a heart attack. But I didn't know how else to describe it. So she calls 911. The paramedics get there and they take my blood pressure and my pulse and all these different things. And my blood pressure was normal, but my pulse rate was high. So they said that based on what they've seen, because a lot of people who have panic disorders will call 911, no matter how old you are, you will call 911 because it really does feel like a heart attack. And so because they've gotten calls like that so many times before, they knew kind of how to pre-diagnose it. So they told my mother, I think she's having a panic attack. It's definitely not a heart attack. Her heart rhythms are fine. EKG is fine. She's just having a panic attack, but go to the doctor and make sure so that you can kind of get help for her. But we grew up in the hood. Like there's not many resources to go get that kind of help. Like we're barely getting you know, healthcare to go to the regular doctor, to the doctor for your physical needs, your physician, but to go and take care of mental health, that's a whole nother ballpark. And so the, our physician, my family physician diagnosed it and said, yeah, I believe this is panic disorder. And, you know, therapy would probably be best, but we couldn't do therapy. So when you grow up black in the hood, the best type of therapy that you can get, and it's not even, you know, subpar, it's church. And so we went to church. And I would spend time talking to God and praying and trying to just, you know, handle it that way. And I will say that out of everything that I've tried when I was a kid, doing that actually was the most helpful because I learned something about how to manage anxiety that I wasn't even taught officially until I was an adult, like going on 30 is when I actually learned 
this thing that I'm afraid of from, from just sitting and talking to God is a thing. And that thing is something one of the things to be connected to your talk directly to help you deal with it. So when I was a little bit, when I was a kid, I was like, I had the disorders and I had anxiety disorder. I was sitting there, I lived there, I was like, I was doing and I was like, I was just like, I was just like, I was just like, how my brain is working right now. And it's going to the best ability at the time. And so I'm telling him, you know, God, I'm so scared that someone's going to break into And so that like, you know, means that something's going to happen, like the house is going to explode, or things are, you know, somebody's in the house and I just don't know where they are. Like, I'm all my fears. I just felt this so calm and like a tingling feeling in my body. And I listened and asked, like, here, I something, something. I tell you something. So I found myself. The one bit of live comfort that came to my age was, hey, you know, you've been thinking about this for some time. I'm going to break down and hurt you. You, know, you all of a sudden fall asleep. But I think that happened. So it's real. I'm talking about it. It's not going to be out. But it's not about what your brain is. Yeah, girl. You know, I'm talking in that regard. I try to find you're afraid of it. And that's why you still hold on to the fear. Because that's not going to be Or the odds seem to be in your favor. So. After doing that, I didn't mind realize, I think I'm too active, and the doctor asked the panic to and how it was going to go from it. It's so long that I had panic after doing the self-talk. I was in elementary school from like 8 to 11. I did have panic attacks. I was going to die that night. I was still having the panic attacks, but continuing to talk helped me so much that I got a point that I forgot I diagnosed with panic disorder. And so that's, that's kind of gone further to the point that when you don't have forgot that, like it's not actually like in the of life that can help out. But I believe that the older I've got, the older I've gotten, I've got eight doctors. I really go see a doctor with your mental issues. It's not this guy. I've got you can have you made these doctors to be able to understand you know, intricate details of science to help them better with this. But, you know, we were poor. We grew up in the hood. We didn't have anything. So, my mental sleep is the greatest thing to have, like, your backup, but your education. So, I'm grateful that I had to to deal with things I did as a kid. And I'm grateful for being able to learn that early on because it still helps to this day. Like self-talk is one of the most effective things that I have been able to do in dealing with anxiety. Now, granted, I've done other things like meditation and therapy and um, changing my diet because the diet, of course, can affect anxiety as well. But one of the most effective things will always be, and it's one of, my, one of the most treasured things too because of how it started and where it came from, but it will always be self-talk because it helps so much. So I kind of want to close out you know, this uh, this episode about anxiety to say that unfortunately I've learned that, you know, anxiety or any mental health issue is not something that has, that can be cured 100%, but the good thing to know is that it, it can be managed. You know, there's always a way to cope with and deal with whatever you've experienced in life and whatever issues may have, have is it arisen? Like, I know it's arise, but if you say a past tense, whatever issues may have arisen in life, there are always ways to cope with it. And on top of, you know, doing my self-talk and doing my meditation, I also like to use my crystals because I do think that, you know, healing crystals can definitely be a great tool to be a reminder or a catalyst to staying in a positive direction mentally and spiritually and emotionally. And one of my favorite tools that, or one of my favorite uh, crystals that I use for anxiety is, well, there's a couple of them. But I think the first one I kind of want to mention is Tiger's Eye. Tiger's Eye has been like just like a, a source and a reminder for strength and for courage to help me get past the fear that kind of fuels the anxiety and get to the source of, you know, doing things in fear. I always keep a Tiger's Eye crystal close to my chest because I feel like, you know, the heart is where it all starts. I didn't mean to write mine, but it happens. But I always keep a Tiger's Eye close to my chest whenever I have to do something that's going to that could bring up anxiety, like having to do public speaking or having to confront a situation at work or confront a situation with anyone, any type of confrontation can bring about anxiety for me. So whenever I know I have to do that, I keep a little tiger's eye tucked in 
in my, my bra on my left side right near my heart because it definitely helps and I also do my self-talking right before I have to do anything that could you know bring about the anxiety just to make sure that I'm feeding myself positive things because I've heard it said many times and I cannot quote the source of it but I've heard it said many times that you know we believe we often believe what we're told so we should start telling ourselves you know good things because we believe ourselves most of all anyway I thank you so much for listening and I hope that this helps someone just to feel a little bit more normal about dealing with anxiety because you are not alone I'll be listening again tomorrow